Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. The title of the message today is Renewal. One word, Renewal. When we put our faith in Christ for salvation, forgiveness of sins, we are in Christ. That is, we have a new identity in Christ. In fact, baptism celebrates that new identity. And in fact, not only do we have a new identity in Christ, but we have a new way of life. That is, compared with our old way of life. So renewal just simply means, what does it look like to transition from my old way of living, not in Christ, into a new way of living that is in Christ. That's called renewal. And that's what our passage is about this morning, is renewal, what it means to walk away from our old ways and live in Christ's way, a new walk, a new way of living. Renewal. So that's our first uh, part of this, verses 17 through 19, is a new uh, walk. Say, for example, you think about this, this makes perfect sense in other areas of our life. If you... uh, take a new job and move to a different city. Say you take a new job and you move from Medford, say to, I don't know, Albuquerque. It's just a random city, I don't know where. Maybe people do that. Maybe people move to Albuquerque. And you would expect your life would be different in Albuquerque than it is in Medford. Would you go to the same grocery store? You say, well, I might go to the grocery store named the same or a part of the same chain, but it's very unlikely you would make the drive to Albuquerque to the grocery store of your preference here in Medford. That would seem which seems kind of ridiculous. Uh, You would expect to encounter different kinds of traffic, different kinds of people. Uh, The way you get to work might be different. If you got up in your new home in Albuquerque, got in your car and drove the same way to work as you did in Medford, you'd be lost. I mean, you, you live in a new place. Everything is going to change. And what the Bible is challenging us with this morning is in Christ, everything has changed. Everything is different. And he says this, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we understand here, the Bible is not throwing Gentiles under the bus per se. He's using Gentiles as a way of describing those who have not yet put their faith in Christ. So now that we're in Christ, he's saying, no longer walk as those who aren't in Christ. Before you were in Christ, our pattern was to follow after whatever we wanted, our passions, our desires. Look how he describes uh, describes us really before we're in Christ. He says, our understanding is darkened, we walked in ignorance, our hearts were hardened, and in fact, we were given up to sensuality and every greedy practice. What he says is this, is outside of Christ, our desire is to follow our passions. We wake up in the morning and say this, what do I want to do? And my entire life is built around this idea of what do I want to do? It doesn't mean every person who is not a believer plums the depths of every possible sin, But what he is describing is outside of Christ, our our decisions and motivations are based on the passions of our own heart. We wake up in the morning, I'm going to do my thing. And and I'm going to evaluate what I ought to do based on the motivations of my own own heart, my own desires. He says the, the default position of the human heart is to greedily pursue that which brings us pleasure. So that is to say, we know that sin is pleasurable for a time, and after a while it will get old. You can enjoy eating a lot of roast beef. At a certain point, you get full, and you have to switch. And then after a while, you can eat so much of it, you say, you know what, I'm kind of over it. I'm going to switch to chocolate pie. 
And after a while, I know it's hard to believe you're going to have to trust me on this. Even chocolate pie, after a certain period of time, will get boring. That, and you know this if you've lived longer than 10 minutes. You can do something fun. And after a while, it's just, well, okay, whatever. It doesn't give me the same buzz it did before. And that's the way sin is. And that's the way our heart is. And we, we greedily pursue it, meaning we know this is going to get old after a while. That's okay. I'll find something else when it gets old. And that's how our hearts are designed to work when we're separated uh, from God. And the Bible is telling us here, in Christ, we should not walk in our old ways, where our decisions and our habits and our patterns are defined by our appetites. We should have a new walk. Over in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, uh, the Bible says this, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often, or for many of whom I have often told you now, and tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So Paul is saying to his astonishment, some Christians have a habit of living that is actually a manner of living that is the way enemies of Christ live. This is how he describes them. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. You say, well, what do you mean? They, they got a picture of their belly on the wall and they worship it? No. What he's saying there, he's describing our appetites. Their God is whatever I want right now. My appetites determine what, I, what I'm going to worship. If I'm hungry, I'm going to worship food. If I'm uh, lonely, I'm going to worship relationship. If uh, if I want more money, I'm going to worship money. And if I want more influence, I'm going to worship influence. Whatever my heart craves becomes my God. He says, our God is our belly, and we glory in our shame with minds set on earthly things. And he's saying here, as those who have our identity in Christ, we should walk a different way. We don't walk as those who are moved by our appetites but rather we walk as those who are moved by Christ himself. We, we seek satisfaction not in our old ways, but in our new ways. You may or may not agree with this, but I would suggest this is true. Sin leads to more and more sin. Sin leads to, once you've opened the door, sin, once we step into those disobedient habits and patterns, it leads to more and more because there is never going to be enough pleasure to satisfy you. And that's the deceitfulness of sin. That's the deceitfulness of the, the world's ways. Is The assumption is, if you finally have this one thing, or if you finally have this one relationship, or this one pleasurable enjoyment, everything will be okay. Anybody tried that? Okay, this message is kind of a bust if nobody's tried it. Because it's kind of based on the fact that we've all done that. I'm going to assume every, everybody who has, has tried this, don't raise your hand. Okay, good. We're all in. And how does it work? Do we fa I finally found the one thing that brings me complete and total satisfaction with no shame or guilt whatsoever. Have you found it? Of course you haven't. That's the deceitfulness of it. I don't mean to throw our uh, advertisers under the bus, but... This is what the basis of all our advertising is. If you finally were to have the Juice Ninja, I don't have one, but I watch that. I think all happiness is bound up in a little tiny blender. If you own a Juice Ninja, I don't mean to. Is that even what it's called? No, it's, I don't know. 
But that's a, if you own this car, if you have a, a home in this particular neighborhood, if you take this particular kind of vacation, if you own these pair of pants, you will finally achieve true satisfaction. It always ends in a trap every single time. And we try it again. Okay, must, that must not have been the thing. Okay, now I'm going to go off topic. But the kids make it worse because you buy that one thing that will finally, finally make you happy. And what do they do when you get home? They drop it. So what do you discover? I love this thing more than my kid. When they scratch the new car or they drop the juice ninja and it's broken and you fly off the handle. Not, none of you guys. Obviously, we're talking about other people. We've all done it. And also we realize, why do I like this thing so much? Our old walks is, is that we pursue sin and the passions of our heart and it leads to more and more sin and, and there's never enough and we fall for it over and over again. And re a renewed life in Christ says, you know what, I'm, I have a new way of walking. It's not in the old ways where the passions and desires of my heart determine where I'm going to go today. This is what it leads to, verse 19 of Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 19. We become callous, and we're given up to every kind of impurity. What happens is, as we sin more and more, we become callous to its destructive effects in our life. We don't even see it anymore. First time we do something we know is wrong, and we get nervous and worried, and we, and we know this isn't going to help. This is going to cause damage. After a while, we become numb to the destructive effects of sin in our own life. We become numb to the effects of sin between us and God. We can't understand. What we do is say, you know, God seems distant. And we've numbed our hearts to the work of God in our lives because we're uh, living in, in sinful ways. We become numb to the joy of the Lord. We say, God could never provide the kind of joy I get from this activity or this habit. Because I go to church and I read my Bible and it's boring and it's dull and uninteresting. And this habit I have is terribly interesting and enticing. And we become numb, we become callous to the destructive effects of sin on our heart. We don't even see the damage. And after a while we say, I don't even think it's wrong. The Bible describes for us in Ephesians 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, in the Lord we have an, a new inheritance. In the Lord we have a new community. We have a new family. We have a new destiny. We have a new joy and a new satisfaction. In the Lord we have a new walk. We don't pursue the satisfaction we need in the same ways we did before. Our appetites are not our God. Our God is the one who hung on a cross for us and rose from the dead for us. Renewal, a new walk. We don't walk in our old ways anymore. Well, how do we do that? Let me just explain from verses 20 and 21 that uh, we have a new walk in a new way, and the way we learn to walk is as important as the walk itself. So look with me at verses 20 and 21 of Ephesians 4. That is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Let me stop right in the middle of the sentence because I can't. So we have a new walk in a new way. Three guys tell the people they're with, three different guys, three different places, each one says to the people with, I'm going to go walk in the park. I'm going to go walk in the park. Well, that's nice. Go walk in the park. First guy goes to the park and walks over to his drug dealer and buys heroin. Second guy goes into the park for his walk, 
and he puts on his running shoes, and he puts on his uh, workout outfit, and he's speed walking to get his heart rate up. He's like the super fast walker. You seen those guys in the park? Passing on your right. Really? Okay. Have at it. The third guy takes a stroll in the park. Walks around, looks at the trees, looks at the flowers, sits down on the bench, watches the ducks for a little bit, talks to a guy he knows from work for a little bit, and he just walks around in the park. Are they, are they all walking in the park? Yes. One guy buys drugs, one guy is working out, and one guy is taking a stroll. So I want to make a suggestion to you, and you can decide if you buy this or not. The gospel in Christ is a stroll in the park. The gospel in Christ is saying, I'm going to go walk in the park, and I'm going to stroll through the park and enjoy it. It's not evil. It's not saying God has said all the bad things are now okay. He's not saying I'm going to go walk in the park and buy drugs and say everything's fine. No, everything's not fine. But the gospel is also not working ourselves to death with our running shoes on. Saying I've got to be the best I can be. The gospel, and that's what he's saying in verse 20, this is not the way we learned in Christ is resting in the finished work of Christ and strolling with God in the park. No longer returning to our evil ways, but at the same time, not foisting upon our back this duty and this obligation to be something we're not. The gospel is a new way, a new walk, a walk that's foreign to us. And Jesus' way is a stroll in the park, but I've got to let you in on some bad news. Look with me at 1 Peter 1.6. Talking about our walk, our stroll in the park with Jesus. 1 Peter 1.6 begins this way. In this, you rejoice. Pretty excited? Don't get too, somebody read ahead. Shaking your head. That's not fair. In this, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not know, uh, excuse me, though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What's his, what's the walk with Christ like? It is a, a, a joy-filled walk that is filled with inexpressible glory. What else is it like? Trials. He said, even now, you may have sufferings. You may have various trials that will test the genuineness of our faith. The Bible says a similar thing over in Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith... We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's good news, right? In faith we rejoice in the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our... You've already slammed your Bible shut, haven't you? We rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. So the walk of Christ and in Christ is a walk of rest. It's a walk of reliance on the finished work of Christ, 
But it will be a walk that as we journey through this with him, we'll have difficulty. We'll have trials of various kinds. We'll have sufferings that we will have to face and endure. Finally, look at what Jesus says about this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are, in fact, few. He's not saying it's hard to put faith in Christ. That's not hard. He says the way is a way we would not have predicted. Because what Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me, and I will give you new life, and I will give you a new way that is full of joy. And we say, oh, you're going to give me a way that's full of joy, and I get to tell you, Jesus, how I get joy, right? And he goes, no, you're lousy at knowing what brings you joy. And so I'm going to take you on a way that brings you the most possible joy. It's my way, not your way, and the way you would describe it from your perspective would be trials and difficulty. When you get to the end and you look back, you will say, oh, that was the way of joy, inexpressible glory. And Jesus is saying what we need to say, this is not easy. What we want is salvation by Christ the way we want it. And Jesus says, I will give you the salvation, not that you want, but the one that you need. Anyone can receive Christ by faith. The difficulty most of us have is knowing the way he is going to take us is going to be the way of joy which is a way of suffering. Three guys walk in the park. The one guy goes and buys drugs. Why? He wants to get out of that suffering. He wants to flip the switch, take a hit. It all goes away for a little bit. What about that guy in his workout activity? He's not avoiding suffering. Sure. The, the person with all kinds of religious obligations doing the same thing. Neither one wants suffering, and so they're convinced, if I can finally be a good enough Christian, God will take these problems away. If I can finally get my act together, all these issues will go away. Obviously, the reason I'm going through difficulty is because I'm not living good enough. Or worse, some religious Christian goes to some other Christian who's going through difficulty and says, you know what, i got to be honest with you because I've got the gift of exhortation, also known as the gift of being a jerk. If you would get your act together, God would deliver you from some of these trials. You ever had somebody say that to you in church? Sure you have. It's evil and it's wrong. God takes us through suffering not to show us how bad he is. I know you may not believe this, but this is what the Bible teaches. God takes us through suffering to show us how good he is. Because he knows what will bring us joy. We do not have a clue what will bring us joy. Ten years ago, what you thought would bring you joy, how to do? I mean, we know. We look back on our life and say, what was I thinking? The jury is out on gigantic TVs, okay? Let's just be honest. Gigantic flat panel TVs. Maybe those can be, No, I'm kidding. Jesus' way plans on suffering. Legalism or religious obligation seeks to avoid suffering by currying favor with God. It doesn't work. Hedonism seeks to avoid suffering by 
of medicating it with the pleasures of this life. Jesus' way is different. Jesus' way is the way of the cross. Jesus' way says, I will walk in holiness by his strength and by his grace. I didn't earn holiness, but I'm going to walk in it because he gave it to me. I'm going to avoid sin, not because it can hurt me, but, but because he gave me holiness. Why in the world in Christ, why in the world in the gospel, if I can't get any holier and sin can't hurt me, why in the world would I follow Jesus' way? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If the gospel gives me holiness and it can never go away, and the gospel delivers me so that sin can't hurt me, why should I, do the, why should I walk Jesus' way? Do you know what the answer is? We have to actually love Jesus. See, if you're going to try and be a good Christian because you want to be a good Christian, good luck with that. The Bible calls us to something wholly different. He says, walk in my way because you have a, a heartfelt affection for the one who died on the cross for you. That's walking in holiness that looks like a cross. I will do things Jesus' way because, man, he's amazing. Do you believe what he did for me? I'm going to walk away from the sin in my life, even though it can't hurt me, because I have a deep affection for Jesus. I worship him more than I worship the sin that I desire. Here's the good news. Walk in the park. God wants to go on a stroll with you. God wants to stroll through the park with you. Remember back to Genesis. What was he doing? First thing we find God doing after he created. What was he doing? Walking in the park. Hey, guys, you want to go for a walk in the park? They were at the drug dealer. Did more damage than heroin ever could. God, the good news is God wants to be with us. He wants to walk with us. He wants us to rest in him. He doesn't need us to strive after him with all this effort to try and impress him. Neither does he want to have us live in a joyless existence of pursuing our own pleasure through sin. He wants to stroll with us joyfully, knowing full well that stroll is going to take us through suffering and difficulty. Renewal, a new walk in a new way. Obviously, if we're going to walk in holiness and avoid sin just merely because we love Jesus, we actually have to be changed from the inside out. So how does that happen? Look at with me at verses 22 through 24. A new walk in a new way with a new mind. Ephesians 4.22. Is that what I said? <clears throat> I have to ask you, I don't pay attention to my own sermon, so I make sure I'm... Ephesians chapter 4, 22, 23, and 24. Let me read them again. Uh, the truth that we have is in Jesus to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be, excuse me, verse 23, and this is the key verse of the whole passage, to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, a new walk in a new way with a new mind. This is where renewal starts. It's a renewal of how we see the world, how we see ourselves, and how we see God. Some of us as young people remember that fateful day when we were finally able to get our driver's license. That all of a sudden, the doors have opened for a new life. It would be strange after getting a driver's license to go to your mom or dad and say, hey, mom, can you take me to the store? You got a driver's license. 
The only reason I would let a kid get a driver's license so I don't have to drive you all over the place anymore. The, the frustration of having to drive the kids everywhere is offset by the fact that they may kill a bunch of people with the car. And it gets to a certain point, and you're like, I don't care. So you get a new driver, the world changes, everything changes. Now you have independence until all of a sudden the gas gauge is empty. And you got to get a job, allegedly. I don't know how they do it nowadays. So we have a new mind. What he's saying is something happens, and now the world shifts. Things change. This is what he says over in uh, 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 9 and following. I'm going to read a few verses of this. For now we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial, the meaning that the dim view we have right now will, will pass away. Listen to how he compares our perspective on the world around us. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. What he's saying here is something changes when we find Christ through faith. We see the world differently. And from the moment we are saved until the moment we step in glory, the, the view we have will become clearer until finally we step across the threshold and finally see things most clearly. So even now we see things dimly, but we should see things differently. We should look at the world around us differently than we did before we were in a Christ. Another passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, this is how Paul describes it. Again, I'm going to read it. The Bible says this, Since we have hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought, but their minds were hardened. To this day, when they read the Old Covenant, a veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ can the veil be taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But listen, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. He says, when you turn to the Lord, the veil that separates between us and God is removed, and we can look and behold on the Lord fully. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Finally, he says this in verse 18. When we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of, of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So what he's saying here is, do you want to be like Jesus? Behold the glory of God, because the veil of our hearts has been removed. How do we have our mind changed? Behold the glory of Christ, is what he's saying. Our minds are changed and our heart is changed when we finally see God and, and the work of God through Christ for what it really is. We look at God in Christ and say, man, this guy is good. He is kind. He is gracious. He is generous. He's still putting up with us over and over again, day in and day out. God has unveiled our hearts so that we can see the glory of Christ uh, himself. And so the Bible challenges us to put off our old self. He says, put off our old way of living. Put off our corrupt desires, our false hopes that sin will bring us something that it will not bring us, joy and contentment and peace. 
He's saying this about this. Walk away from your old self because you have beheld the glory of God and you can compare the two. Sin, which is terribly disappointing, and the glory of God. And he's just saying, choose the best one. It, and you say, this isn't very complicated theologically. I know, the Bible keeps it real simple. Sin, the glory of God, choose the best one. And of course, in church, we know the right answer. The right answer is always Jesus. We get that. The reason we need the reminder is because tomorrow when we wake up, that sin is going to, but it looks, it looks really good. It, I think maybe this will be the time it brings the satisfaction, I think it will, with no shame or guilt whatsoever. And he's saying, no, put off our old self. We found something better in the Lord. Have our minds and hearts transformed because we have beheld the glory of God. He says, put on our new self. That is to walk in the identity of holiness and righteousness we have in Christ. We have true hope in Christ, and it's not a stifling hope. It's a true hope that God will accomplish his purpose in us. We get to put it, I would put it this way. We finally get to live like God made us, to live the way he would have us live. And we think, well, that sounds stifling. I don't get to have my own way. You're right. You don't. Your way is terrible. I don't mean that as politely as it sounded. My way, it's terrible. That's what he's saying. You've been trying it. Some of us have been trying it longer than others. It's not working, but we're convinced it will. And the Bible is just being obvious that you found something better here. God provides the hope, the joy, the peace, and the rest we've been searching for everywhere else. Set your old life aside. Try the new one. God will give us everything we need and will walk with us through the suffering that we will, in fact, endure. Renewal, a new walk in a new way with a new mind. Let me give you a couple of easy ways out. Are you ready? If you're all about going the easy way, you're going to want to take some notes on these. These are some good ones. I am really good at finding the easy way. We were talking this week about in staff, somebody had said, um, necessity is the mother of invention. And I said, no, it's not. Laziness is the mother of invention. Every item you've ever used is because some guy didn't want to get up off his, off his couch. So I'm about to give you the easy ways. Easy way number one, don't change. Don't change. Live exactly the way you would like to live. Live exactly the way the world around you tells you to live. And what you're going to need to do theologically is just pretend that God's cool with it. So that's one way. Lots of people are into this one. This one is uh, profoundly popular. And some of you are offended that I would say this isn't the way to do it. That's the easy way. Don't change. Just live like the world lives. Keep your pet sins hidden. And just pretend, you know what? God and I are cool. That's one way you can do it. Hey, there's another easy way that's going to appeal to a lot of us churchy folks. That might be us since we're in church this morning. Another easy way is to actually be really good. You know, amazingly, there are some personality types that are tremendously good at being a very well-disciplined, developing really good, healthy habits. And you say, you know what? I can do good. I can actually be pretty well behaved. So this is another easy way. I'm going to change. I'm going to be good. I'm going to throw a stick in the fire and nail my sin to the cross, whatever your, uh, your thing might be, whatever camp thing you, you did. I'm going to be really good, and I think I can be really good without actually loving God. 
I don't think this whole having to build an affection for God is realistic. I'm just not that kind of person. So you know what? I'm just going to hit it out the park and pretend that God is okay with me behaving really, really well and not loving him that much. I'm going to let you in on a secret. Some people are really, really good at behaving really well. We're a little bit finicky about what ones we're going to be good about. We're, we generally are really good at the public stuff. And the private stuff, we just keep those hidden. Nobody can bat a thousand. So we work really hard to be good on the outside and hide what we can't change. God sits there and pokes that one. What about this? What about this? That's just been my experience. How about the hard way? Who wants the hard way? Like, why did we come to church? That's where you're, what am I doing here? Here's the hard way, Romans 12, 1 and 2. You say, well, I don't know if the hard way is the right way to phrase it. I'm just phrasing it the way Jesus did, so you can take it up with him. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. What does worship mean? It's how I say to God, man, you're awesome. How can I tell God over and over and over and over again how awesome he is? To give my body to him as a spiritual act of your awesome God by day in and day in out walking away from my appetites and pursuing his ways. Verse 2, he gives some good ideas on how to use our bodies to worship God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he says this. To you who think that you can walk with God and do everything your way, he says, that's not, that's not worship. You're worshiping somebody, but it's not God. And for those of you who think you can behave your way to God, guess what? Your mind is not renewed. Your pride is going to bring you down. We worship God when our minds are renewed and we say, God, you are amazing. You can have every moment of my day. And you're saying, I give you all 90 minutes on Sunday mornings. How much more do you want? Just the rest. The hard way is to love God so much, you want to live in the joy that his way offers. The realities of living this way with God is the fact that he is faithful. He will give you every ounce of joy he intends for you to have, and that requires he will take you through suffering. The life of worship of God in joy is a life that is cross-shaped. It always goes through suffering. Not sometimes, not maybe. Always. We think suffering means no joy, and God is trying to convince us of something here. No, suffering is where the joy is found, because that's where you will find Christ. Cross-shaped transformation. We look at Christ on the cross and say, that's how I want to get saved, but I want to walk saved a different way. And Jesus said, no, the walk of salvation is cross-shaped, just as your conversion was. Renewal. A new walk in a new way with a new mind. Just two things, and then we'll close in prayer. Actually, I have a couple of songs to sing, too, but pray first. A new walk in a new way with a new mind. Here's something I would suggest. Two different kinds of people here today. This, love Jesus more than your sin. How do you overcome sin? Love Jesus more than your sin. You say, well, I don't love my sin. I just like to do it a lot. Okay, so you love it. 
Love Jesus more than your anger. Love Jesus more than your greed. Love Jesus more than your need for influence and power. Love Jesus more than your lust. Love Jesus more than whatever it is that if you lost it today, your world would fall apart. We need to love Jesus more than that. You say, I don't know how. Ask him. He will take you through the suffering you need in order to find out. And I'm being serious. You say, well, I don't want to do that. Then you believe in the wrong Jesus. That's how he does it. Jesus, help me overcome sins. All right, I've got some fantastic suffering for you. And he's serious. And, he's, and you say, well, I don't want to be miserable. You've misread it. He says the joy is in there. We rejoice when we find out that he's, he has seen fit to make us in, and transform us into the glory of Christ. Love Jesus more than your sin. Secondly, love Jesus more than your religion. Love Jesus more than your need to be good enough. Love Jesus more than your need to behave well. Love Jesus more than your need to impress others with your ability to be the best Christian on the block. Jesus is better than all of that stuff. Jesus is better than sin, and he's better than religion.